0: Welcome. This is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. We want to thank you for taking time to listen to our Sun, Salt, and Light broadcast. We want you to know and grow in the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and the light. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this broadcast we simply teach the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we believe that God changes a life one verse at a time. I'd like to personally invite you out to come and see the church. Uh, it is a very casual atmosphere, and uh, but we do take the Word of God very seriously. We meet in a non-traditional church building. We actually meet at the BFW 3966 in Divine, Texas. It's located at 211 West College Avenue, big white building right next to the post office. Our service times are on Sunday when we go through the New Testament uh, at 10 a.m., and then on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m., we go through the Old Testament. Uh, we have children's ministry available for both services, and if you need to get more information on the church, you can go to calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bible ready, we'll begin our verse-by-verse study in the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 33-39. through 39. The title of this sermon is, Truly This Man Was the Son of God. Here's the second half and conclusion. Of this two part study. And then another of the sayings is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that word forsaken in the Greek actually means to abandon, to desert, to leave in straits, to leave helpless. To leave helpless. Jesus is crying out scripture in Psalm 22 1 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, uh, saving me? From the words of my groaning. And actually, I think that's probably what we're going to do. I have one week before we do Advent, and we're actually going to do a quick study of this in Psalm 22, verses uh, 23 and 24, which is a trilogy of David. And the cool thing about that, that trilogy is in Psalm 22, he is writing about the good shepherd that dies for the sheep. And then Psalm 23, he writes about the great shepherd that lives for the sheep and cares for the sheep. And then in Psalm 24, he writes about the chief shepherd that returns in glory and rewards his sheep for their service, the second coming of Christ. And we see that as as Jesus is quoting Scripture. But you have to understand this is the first time, the first time he's been separated from the Father as he's fixing to take the wrath of our sin upon him. And we know in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And an angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit, the Most High, as He's born, created uh, in, in the womb of Mary. But then we see... As he begins his ministry, as he's baptized, the Holy Spirit and the Father there, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. But now, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. As he takes our punishment, sinless. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, And be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In 2 Corinthians 5:21, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God sends His Son to die on the cross for the sins of this world, a debt that you can't pay. The wrath of, of God and the sin is placed on Jesus as a separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? left helpless in the Greek. In Isaiah fifty three ten it says, Yet it has pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in in his hand. It pleased God. And you read that and you go, wait a minute, man, this is his son. There's a bigger picture here. He was pleased because of the obedience of the Son. He did exactly what He was called to do. The Son, at any point, fully God, fully man, could have said, I'm done. I'm getting down off the cross. (laughs) In this Roman Empire, I'm taking y'all out. Could have happened. But no, not Jesus. He was being obedient to the Father. There was no selfish intent or whimsy as, as God said He was pleased to bruise Him. He's happy because His Son. He has joy because His Son was obedient to serve the purpose that He's called Him to serve. And it makes us question whether or not we're doing the same thing. God has given you a purpose in this world. There is a gift that each of y'all have been given, at least one. Some of y'all have multiple gifts. But are you using them for the kingdom of God? Is He well pleased with you? It was through the obedience of Jesus and the, the suffering that Jesus went through that he did the will of God. God was satisfied. There was a redemptive outcome. There was victory. And it reminds me of Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Beautiful verse. But he had to suffer. It was a volunteer choice that Jesus made to do this because he wanted to be obedient to the Father. And it's a volunteer choice for you to repent of your sins. God doesn't make anybody come to faith. You choose to follow or not. It's your choice. You repent. You turn from your sin. You turn to Christ. You believe in your heart. He becomes your Savior. And every one of us have an opportunity... To have our sin debt forgiven. But Jesus in this moment is actually experiencing isolation that sin causes. Sinless. He's never sinned. But if sin is involved in your marriage, it can separate marriages. If sin is involved in a friendship, it can separate friendships. But the biggest problem that sin separates us from is God. It's a debt we cannot pay. Can only be paid by Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You can't earn it. You don't get in because your grandmother was all she man. She was really a godly person. She's gonna she's gonna open the door and let me in. That's not how this works. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, "But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear." It's our sin. It's the the sin of humanity that that has created this separation. And the Son is sent to, to take that sin upon Him so that way we could be forgiven. It's not just so you can have eternity in heaven. What people don't understand is eternity starts here. That God wants to use you now. See, when we have broken fellowship from the Father... A lot of that happens is because you've already allowed your heart to be prepared by the actions of your sin. You've already kind of rolled it around in your head. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Well, and you start justifying what you're going to do. And by that time, the devil's got you. And we went over that this Wednesday. We're going to continue to go over that Wednesday. Sarah had brought up a good point in her, in her version of the Bible that she has the... Uh, I was in the English Standard, but I think in the New King James and others, they actually say that, that Adam was standing next to Eve. And we're going to go over that Wednesday. The, the thing is, and we have to remember the context of that, we don't understand at what point Adam was standing there. We're not sure if he was there for the whole conversation. Here's something else that's really crazy that me and Teresa were talking about on the way home. Did Adam give Eve the wrong instructions from God? Did Adam hear the wrong instructions from God? Did Eve not listen to what Adam was giving her? At some point, there is a communication breakdown, and sin happens. Sin happens. Man, you want to see a marriage fall apart or a friendship fall apart? Allow communication to start breaking down and allow one of y'all to start, start thinking you can do whatever you want to do. And sin, sin gets in there, just like it did with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was wise delight to, uh, to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to, t- to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. One of the things you need to be very careful with, when somebody's involved in sin... Instead of them sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will share the gospel of Satan and pull you into sin. They will proselytize sin. You've got to be careful. You need to be aware of that. If somebody's like, you know, hey, man, I'm, I'm, going, to the, I'm going to go to the bar. I'm, man, I started drinking again. Why don't you come with me? Don't pull that person in with you. You're trying to draw him in or draw her into your sin. And you got to be careful with that, because sin loves company. Satan loves to trap more than one person. In Jeremiah 15, 17, it says, I did not sit in the company of revilers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me, for you, are, you had filled me with indignation. Jeremiah is alone, because he's standing for holiness. And let me tell you something, when you stand up for God... And you stand up for holiness, there's going to be a very light crowd around you. There's not going to be a lot of people. Because we live in a very dark world. We live in a very dark culture. And holiness goes against... I've never seen a time where good and evil is so apparent. Whether it's in the music industry, whether it's in the entertainment industry, whether it's in politics, it doesn't matter good and evil are so apparent today and let me tell you something as soon as one person comes up and says something that is right that is holy they attack him or her they go after full barrels they go with everything they got because they don't want you standing up for holiness they want to silence you and so when you stand up for God you may be doing that by yourself at times when you stand up for holiness, there may not be a big crowd around you. Just be aware of that. Understand that. It happens. But you just keep keep the faith and keep doing what God's given you to do. I don't know how many times I was told we couldn't get in the schools. You can't get in the schools, you can't get in the schools. You're not gonna be able to get in the schools. God provided a way. We stood for holiness. And let me tell you something. There was a big group of people that were praying. By the time we dwindled down, there was only about five of us that actually were like, okay, let's, we're going to do this regardless. Let's figure this out. You stand for holiness, man. You stand with God. You don't need nothing else. Let me tell you something. It's hard. One of the hardest things to do is to do that and understand that you're going against a culture that loves sin. They love sin right now. They love darkness. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 16 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every uh, respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet uh, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This is so important for you to understand. The separation that happens between the Father and the Son. The separation that happens. He's telling you in this verse that Jesus understands that. He understands the separation that happens when you're in sin. He understands it. Because he's been separated from the Father. And that's, that's what we need. That we have a high priest that we can go to. In our time of need, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what sin that you're dealing with, you repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. You draw people to the throne of grace, to the throne of mercy. Draw them with love and truth. It's one of the hardest things to do. Let me tell you, I've had some really tough times where I had to confront somebody about their sin. It is not easy. Not easy. As an assistant pastor, you're, you're usually the when they, they tell you you go with your you go and you talk to the to the brother or sister by yourself and then and if you can't get resolution you bring a brother or sister with you. I'm usually the guy that has to go in on the second trip. It's not easy, but your 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 whole intent is to draw them to the throne of grace, to draw them to the throne of mercy, and to see them be restored. And sometimes it, it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And, what, you know, I've seen, I've seen a couple of those guys over the last two or three years, and I'm very cordial to them, very loving. And would love to see them be still drawn to the throne of grace and the throne of mercy, but we just love on them. They've already, they already know what the truth is. They've already, they've already made their decision with the hope that they'll return at some point, but we just, you know, it's tough. But we need to understand that we have a high priest that understands, that understands. You draw them to Jesus. That's what we do. We draw them to Christ. Verses 35 and 36, we see the second point, wait, the bystanders speak. In verse 35, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Now that may sound like a good thing, but they're actually mocking Jesus at this point. They're still mocking him. Still mocking him. And it says in verse 36, And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put a reed on it and gave him uh, to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take it down. And so why Elijah? Remember we went over this at the very beginning of Mark. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will uh, suddenly come uh, to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is come saying, The Lord of hosts. Now they believed, and this goes back to Mark chapter 12. They believed that it was Elijah that was going to come. Remember, Jesus had actually addressed that in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, 12 and 13. He says, And he said to them, Elijah does not come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things, and be treated with contempt, but I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did not uh, did to him whatever they, they pleased, as it is written of him. And so they they always confused and always thought it was going to be Elijah. And we went over that. You can go listen to the teaching in Mark chapter nine. We went into that with great detail. Uh, and and yet he's given sour sour wine. It says, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all, all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So this is another one of the sayings. I thirst. And so when we look at sour wine, it's actually very, very little wine. Probably, I've, I've heard it taught before whether it's 10% wine, 5% wine, but more Water. And that's what they would use to drink for dehydration. And you have to understand, at this point, Jesus is dehydrated. He's, he's suffering. And he probably can barely get out the next words that need to come out without having this. But a Roman guard gave an act of mercy and actually gives it to him. But it fulfills a scripture in Psalm 20, uh, 69, verse 21. It says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. So this act of mercy that this Roman... none None of the Jewish people, not even the religious leaders, have any empathy or sympathy for him at this moment to say he's thirsty. Give him something to drink. It is the Roman soldier that does it in an act of mercy. There's a physical need. And it's just a reminder to us that Jesus has physical Needs. He gets tired. He deals with pain and suffering just like we do. He understands what you go through. But yet they mock him. In Psalm 22, verse 15 through 17, it says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the, the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers do- encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They're gloating over him. They're mocking him. These bystanders that are still there. Watching. And the last thing we see in verses 37 and 39. Watching as Jesus breathed his last. And Jesus uttered with a loud cry. And breathed his last. Now, we have two final statements that happen here. And Mark goes through it very quickly. But So we're going to have to go to... Uh, the synoptic gospels to pull that out and john 19:30, because i was like well that would like if you're studying the word of god like what did he cry out like if that's where you're at and you're going man this was my study today i would want to know what he cried out so you need to actually ask the question and find the answer right that's what you do when you study god's word in john 19:30, it says when jesus had received sour wine he said it is finished It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished means paid in full. Paid in full. And the cost of redemption is is high. In Psalm 49, 8, it says, For this reason of their life is costly and they can never suffice. There is nothing that you can do in humanity to pay for the cost of your sin. Except to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in Jesus Christ. Ask Christ into your heart. That's it. You can't pay your debt. The cost is too high. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Remember what he said in the theme verse back in Mark chapter 10, verse 45? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we forget that part. We always focus on the part where the Son of Man came to what? To serve. But we forget the part that he gave his life as a ransom for many. For many, he also said, "Jesus said this in John 15:13. Greater love has no no one than uh, no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends." And I always see that because we're military. That's always the verse they use whenever we have Veterans Day or we have um, Memorial Day. And it's like, would would we actually give our life for a friend? I can tell you man there's, there, I, I've served with a lot of guys brothers in Christ that, that I've served in foxholes that I would give my life in a heartbeat we bled in ministry together and poured out and, and it doesn't matter where they're at in their life in a heartbeat I would be there for them and give up mine for theirs and that's how we should be as Christians and, and Jesus said that I love that I love that as his disciples are not even there you know he's coming down to his last breath and his disciples are no longer there he's surrounded by darkness in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 it says in in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace can't be earned repent believe and receive you're saved by faith not by works saved by grace not by works the cost of redemption is too high and then we have the final saying from Jesus in Luke chapter 23 verse 46 Jesus calling out with a loud voice said father into your hands I commit my spirit and having said this he breathed his last last two things he says is, is that it's paid in full right it's finished it's been paid it's done nothing else needs to be done Anyone who adds anything to it is wrong. You cannot have Jesus plus this. You need to run from that. It's finished. Jesus is done. And then the next thing he, he, he says is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As he's yielding up his last breath. In Psalm 31, 5, it says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Do you realize this is something that every Jewish boy would pray? The children, Jewish children, would actually pray this before bed. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Jesus would have prayed this as a child. As he takes his last breath, he says it. But he says it with victory. He says it with victory. In verse 38 it says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And again, this is a reminder to us that, that man, man's way is from bottom to top. That's what religion is. Man cannot figure out or help you or save you or pay the debt of your sin. No religion can. And that man that was told about pur- purgatory needs to run from that church as quickly as he can because that, that's wrong theology. Sin can only be paid by Jesus Christ. And what was done on the cross. He's our high priest. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 it says, But now in Christ Jesus you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the divining wall of hostility. We're paid and, and covered by the blood of Christ. And people freak out when you talk about the blood of Christ, but that's, we're covered by the blood of Christ. When you give your life over to Christ and your heart over to Christ and you repent of your sins, you're covered by the blood. The same Jesus that sits at the right hand of the Father. The same Jesus that intercedes for you. And no matter what you're going through this morning, we'll intercede for you. Have you asked Him? He intercedes for us. We're His children. Finally, in verse 39, it says, And when the centurion who stood facing Him saw it, Saw that it, in this way, he breathed his last and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, did the centurion come to faith? We don't know. But what we do know is in that statement, the centurion is actually confirming his deity. A Gentile, a Roman soldier confirming the deity of Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of God. And we know, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll go over a little bit more in that verse. Sarah, you can go ahead and come on up. Uh, I'll go over more in that verse next week about the earthquake and the people in Matthew that get up and walk out of their day of the dead sort of thing. They get up and walk out of their, their, uh, their caskets or whatever it was at the time that they were buried, and they get up and they, they, they're alive, and they go in to, to start talking about Christ. And that all happens as the veil's torn and the earthquake happens. And we'll, we'll look at that because that's all going to deal with the resurrection as well. Because they don't come out until the resurrection. And a lot of people, I remember the first time somebody shared that piece of scripture with me, it freaked me out. I was like, what? What do you mean? They were buried and they got up and they, what do you mean they walked back in the city? Lazarus was set for burial. You know, becoming a Christian is not merely believing in some creed or or just doing a religious activity at church. It's actually asking Christ himself to take residence in your life and heart. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, simply pray this prayer after me and mean it in your heart. Just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that His death and resurrection provided for my forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. I turn from my sins and open the door of my life and heart to you. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior and ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we would like to welcome you to the family of God. Uh, The next step, what would that be? Uh, My suggestion is always for a new believer is that they need to be in the Word of God. They need to spend time in God's Word daily. Uh, I would, if you have an iPhone or an Android phone, there are wonderful Bible apps that are free. But if you need a physical Bible, we will do everything we can to get you one mailed out. So you can go to our website and go to the contact information and we will get one to you. Uh, The other step that would need to happen is you need to get plugged into a church, uh, one that teaches the whole counsel of God, meaning that it teaches everything from Genesis to Revelation, preferably verse by verse. Uh, The other thing is there's a lot of great pastors and, and teachers of the Word of God in our area, a lot of great churches in our area, so I would tell you get plugged into one. We would love for you to come visit us at Calvary Chapel Divine. Uh, You can go to our website, get more information about the church, more information about us at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. I would like to thank you for taking time to listen to our broadcast. This is uh, Pastor Michael Fatigue from Calvary Chapel Divine, Texas. If you're someone like me who is uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Audible, iHeartRadio, Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, just type in Calvary Chapel uh, Divine, and you'll you'll be able to track us down. And lastly, I just wanted to invite you out to church. Uh, we are a casual church that meets in a non-traditional building, uh, meaning that we meet at the VFW 3966 on West College Avenue, big white building right next to the the post office. Uh, If you want to get more information about our church, if you need to ask uh, some questions, or you even need prayer, just go to calvarydivine.org. And uh, we want to thank you again just for listening to this broadcast of Calvary Chapel Divine Texas, Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. God bless you. Have a good one.